You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Now, today we are continuing a series. We're in part two of this series that we have called Revealed, a reference to how God reveals to us his truths and his affirmations. And our aim in this series is to understand what God himself, Jesus, taught about prayer. And let me just say up front, I recognize The idea of learning about prayer, it can sound really passive and it can sound really boring. It might not sound as exciting as learning to improve our relationships or what the scriptures teach about social justice and politics or mental health. And you're right. Those are some fun and important topics that we all need to explore. But I contend this, that unless we first get prayer right, Well, we would just be spinning our wheels learning about any other life matter. It's like what renowned theologian A.W. Tozer said. To desire life change or world change, to desire revival, and at the same time neglect prayer, that's to wish one way and walk another. So I believe that the life change we're all actually seeking Well, it starts with clearly understanding prayer. And because Jesus was the physical, earthly embodiment of God, the creator of the universe, he's God revealed in human form. Well, who better to learn about anything like prayer than from Jesus? Now, in part one, we saw that if we understood prayer the way that Jesus, God himself understood prayer, well, then we would be enthusiastic to pray often. And we would be expectant knowing that our prayers would be effective at opening up the heavens and for God to reveal his truth to us. And then others would be eager to learn from us because they'll see prayers transformative power in our lives. And so for these reasons, we together requested from Jesus what one of his disciples requested. And it sort of became the main idea of our series. The disciples said, and we said together, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus, we want to learn to pray from you. Now, how Jesus immediately responded to that request is where we're going to pick up in our series today. And if you understand Jesus's response, then you will see why he was motivated to pray as often as he did. And if you embrace what he taught, you too will be motivated to pray, which ultimately, as we heard a moment ago, that is what will catalyze change in your life and change in this world. And so, If you plan to follow along in the scriptures, if you plan to highlight or take notes, turn to Luke's account about Jesus, the 11th section, go to the gospel of Luke chapter 11. And then, of course, before we begin, would you just join me in asking God by his spirit to help us learn today? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather digitally. Thank you for the means and the resources to be able to do so. And we just pray, Lord, that by your spirit, 
you would help us be centered and calm and without distractions so we can focus on what it is you want to say to us through your scriptures. Lord, speak through me that folks might be encouraged to know you more and that we would all be transformed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how did Jesus respond to his disciples' request that reveals Jesus' motivation for praying? Like, what did Jesus want you to know? And what did Jesus want me to know and understand about prayer that would motivate us to pray the way that he taught? Well, in response to his disciples' request, Jesus introduced for us a model or his template for prayer. And many of you who grew up Catholic, you might know this model, this template as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And we're not going to unpack that prayer today. We'll learn about that model and its nuances in a future series. But for the sake of where we're going in our conversation, we will together recite the prayer Luke recorded. And before we recite that prayer together, it's important to note this. First, the version of the model prayer that we're going to read from is from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. And the Global Bible Initiative, it named the CSB as the optimal Bible translation for readability and you know understanding and linguistic precision, meaning that it is very close to the original intent of the original language the scriptures were recorded in. And so in order to best serve you, 99% of the time I teach from the CSB. And all of this to say that the prayer we're going to read today from the CSB, it may just sound a little different from what you memorized growing up. Now, secondly, It is important to note that while this model prayer, it might be ultra familiar for you and for me, so familiar that many of us aren't even enthused by it. In fact, we're probably underwhelmed praying it regularly. Well, this model, it was actually completely shocking for Jesus's disciples to have heard. Here's what I mean. So in the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament, the title father for God is used only 15 times. And none of those times is God being addressed in a personal manner or in prayer. I mean, there is no evidence in any known Jewish literature that God was ever addressed as father before Jesus introduced that idea. Now, Jesus' disciples, well, they grew up mainly relating to God as if he was some sort of Star Wars villain to be unhealthily feared and to be approached with trembling In his book, Praying Like the Jew Jesus, author Timothy Jones wrote this. In their prayers and public reading of scripture, ancient Hebrews substituted Adonai, or supreme master, for the unspeakable, ineffable name of God. Meaning they would not dare refer to God as anything other than supreme master Adonai. Approaching God as anything else would have been disrespectful. And to call him father, that was out of the ordinary. It was utterly shocking. Now, with that utter shock in mind, let's now together read out loud Jesus' revolutionary prayer 
It's going to be displayed on the screen. And if you're listening via podcast only, just listen intently. All right. So y'all ready? Jesus told his disciples and he told you and me, whenever we pray, say, and y'all read this with me, father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. I imagine hearing Jesus teach this model, some of his disciples would have been overcome with fear and reluctance. They would have thought, uh, yo, Jesus, are you sure we won't be struck dead if we pray something like that? And others would have thought like, uh, Jesus, we can't pray that. Like, don't you remember you referred to yourself as son of God and you referred to God as father and then all those religious people, now they want to kill you? And so even if God doesn't strike us dead, well, then eventually these guys will come after our heads. And then still, others may have thought, that's it? That's the prayer that you pray? I mean, it's so short and where's all the flowery words and all the religious jargon? I mean, where are all those Hebrew names that we use to butter up God and to suck up to him? I mean, that is just so underwhelming. We don't sound amazing saying anything like this. And so why? Why would Jesus have prayed in such a simple and jargon-free and suck-up-free way? And why should any of us be motivated to pray the way that Jesus modeled? Well, Jesus explained why he's motivated to pray in this simple, more relational way in a story that he told. And to help us understand everything implied in Jesus's story, I'm going to tell you a modern rendition of it. And as I tell you this story, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider what you would think of me if you were the other person in this story. All right, so here's my rendition of Jesus' story to his disciples that involves you and me. So suppose it's around midnight, maybe sometime after midnight, one cold winter evening. And in my bedroom, my one-bedroom apartment, I'm snugly tucked under my down comforter and I'm sound asleep, dreaming one of my favorite dreams of being a professional basketball player for my all-time favorite team, the San Antonio Spurs. Now, snuggled next to me is my baby girl, and next to her is my wife. And at our feet, our dogs are curled up, making our feet even warmer, and all is peaceful. But then, there's a pounding on our door, boom, 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 boom. And suddenly, our dogs are barking, and our baby is crying, and my wife and I, we are up and startled, and our hearts are pounding, and like that Mr. Krabs meme, we're trying to gather all of our senses as to what's going on. And so, I get up, and I look through the people, and I see, it's my friend. It's you. And you're all flustered. And so I say, what's the emergency? What is so urgent? And you say, Lee, oh my gosh, I am so embarrassed. My friends just arrived at my place and I have no food to offer them. Can I please rummage through your refrigerator or through your pantry for food? I swear to you, I will pay you back. And I say to you, uh, dude, like you are coming to me with this ridiculous request 
that you didn't plan for? I mean, you're so inconsiderate. You woke me up from my beauty sleep that I need in order to function properly, and now my family's gonna have to go through this entire bedtime routine all over again, and that takes forever. I cannot help you. Go away. But you don't. You're so ashamed that you have nothing, that you keep pounding on my door, and you're begging me. And so I eventually come to my senses, and I think to myself, man, you must really feel embarrassed that you have nothing to offer your friends, and I don't want you to wake up my neighbors, and I don't want them to think of me as a terrible person, so let me just show you some pity, and you can come inside, and you can get some food, and then perhaps you'll leave me alone. Now, end of story. Be real with me here. If it took you begging me and me having pity on you in order for me to finally give in to your request, what kind of friend does that make me? Would you really consider me a caring and dependable friend? Let me tell you how I'd answer that. If you made me beg for something and you only responded to my request out of pity, we darn sure ain't friends. And I likely wouldn't ever go back to you to ask for anything else because I don't want to be belittled in that way. I want to be valued. And my guess is, my hope is, the same is true for you. I hope none of your friendships are like that. This story I told is a depiction of a very despicable friendship and I hope you're disgusted by it. And the disgust that you might feel from this story would have felt even more intense by Jesus' disciples. Remember, similar to the poor living conditions in modern-day Brazil's slums, many of Jesus' disciples lived in a crowded cluster of houses in the outskirts of a city. And because they were so poor, they were an interdependent collective community. People were expected to help their friends whenever they reasonably could. And so in the story that I told, the one in need, you banging on the door at midnight, that is not the despicable person. The person that would have been disgusting to Jesus' disciples is me. The one who wouldn't eagerly help a friend in need. And that intense disgust is exactly the feeling that Jesus sought to elicit from his disciples when he shared his version of the story. Concerning that despicable friend, Jesus said this, he will answer from inside, like doesn't even have the audacity to open up the door. And he will say, don't bother me. You're a pain in my rear end. The door's already locked and my children and I, we've gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I don't have that ability. Jesus went on to say, I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Now, typically, when this portion of the story is taught, folks will often emphasize that if you want your prayers answered, you have to be persistent, just like the person in the story. And maybe that's part of what Jesus is implying. I mean, he's Jesus. He's multidimensional, multilayered. It could be part of it. But more specifically, 
Given the historical and cultural context that we just discussed, and given what we discussed in part one of this series, that Jews, they knew about persistence. They persistently prayed the exact same prayers daily for centuries, yet they were still poor and still oppressed. Well, Jesus likely wasn't emphasizing persistence here. No, Jesus was essentially saying to his disciples, and he was saying to you, and he was saying to me, the reason you're reluctant to pray what I taught in this simple, more relational manner is because you see God as that despicable friend. You think God needs to be buttered up and that he needs to be begged in order for him to respond to you. And the reason I know that this was Jesus's primary emphasis is because Jesus soon after expanded on this idea. And how Jesus elaborated on this idea of why we're not motivated to pray simple relational prayers, it's a lot like this. My almost two-year-old daughter has a peanut allergy. And so my family has removed all peanut-related products from our house. And everywhere we go, we carry an EpiPen in case she has some sort of accidental peanut exposure. Because depending on the severity of the exposure, her reactions can range from swelling and a rash and nausea all the way to her airways closing and consequently, even death. Now, what I am about to share might be triggering for some, and I hate that that's even a possibility. And so let me encourage you in advance, if you're triggered by this, please don't tune out. Stick with us. Listen for what Jesus hereafter has to say. It does, in fact, get better. Now, let's imagine that one day my baby girl comes to me hungry and she asks for a sandwich. And me, knowing her allergy, I intentionally prepare for her a peanut butter sandwich and I just watch her eat it. If I was trying to be a trickster dad and... You know, I had her EpiPen on her and I was going to inject her with it anyway. Let's just call this what it is. I mean, that's abuse and that's evil, right? And if she survived, she surely would have been traumatized. And not just that, I would have destroyed whatever trust that she had in me. She would likely fear me and she would be reluctant to ever come to me again for any requests. And at some point as she grew older and she realized just how evil and how abusive that was, she would want nothing to do with me. She would come to hate me and she'd likely never want a relationship with me. She would keep her children from me. At best, our relationship would be forever strained. And this idea that a child would not want to have anything to do with an abusive father is what else Jesus surfaced about why we're not motivated to pray in the manner he did. He surfaced that his disciples believed that God wanted to harm them and would do things that would make them never want to approach him. He said it this way, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. In other words, not even an imperfect and somewhat decent father like myself would ever do such a sadistic act. And now let's put together Jesus's two ideas about why his disciples wouldn't be motivated to pray the way that he did. Jesus was saying, 
the reason you're reluctant to pray how I've modeled in the simple and non-suck-up way is because you believe God is a despicable friend who's inconvenienced and needs his beauty sleep and will reject all of your requests. And because you believe God will make you beg and will only ever give you what you want or what you need out of pity. And the reason you won't pray how I prayed in a very simple and relational way is because you believe God is this immature trickster who only gives you like gag gifts that are going to be a disappointment to you. Or you see him as an abusive dad who wants to harm you. And if, like the disciples did, you too view God in any of these ways. Listen, Jesus totally understands. I totally understand. He wasn't being critical or judgmental. I'm not being critical or judgmental by bringing these views to light. In fact, remember what I shared in part one of this series that Jesus had taught. Jesus, for the first time in human history, introduced to the world who God was and what God was actually like. No one in the known world had ever known what God was ever truly like until Jesus put his attributes on display when he walked this earth. Jesus taught it this way. No one knows who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son determines to reveal him. And so virtually everyone in human history up to that point had a wrong view of God. And if you have never studied the gospel accounts about Jesus, what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived, you likely also have a wrong view of God. And it's no wonder that you're not motivated to pray in the manner that Jesus taught or not motivated to pray at all. And so in the most gentle way to his disciples and to you and to me, Jesus was in effect saying, look, if you want to understand prayer the way I understand prayer, You've got to view God how I view God, or you've got to view God how I've revealed him. So for those of us who are still not too familiar with how Jesus revealed God, what's a starting point for what we should believe about who God is and how God is? Like what did Jesus know about the father that motivated him to pray? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit recently gave me a glimpse of that answer. Recently, I was separated from my almost two-year-old daughter for seven days. It was the longest that I had ever been away from her, and it felt for me like an eternity. And the entire time she and I were physically apart, I longed to be with her. She was constantly on my mind, I was so distracted wondering how and what she was doing. And when she and I were finally reunited in person, she came up to me with arms open wide. And she said to me what she always says to me when she wants me to pick her up. She said, I carry me, dad. To which I said what I always say to her. Daddy will always carry you anytime you ask. Now notice she didn't come to me calling me her banner or her victory or anything like that, her supreme master, but just dad, carry me. She invited my presence and she trustingly rested in my arms. That is, she received me. 
And when she received me, I squeezed her tightly and I kissed her nonstop and I showed Zoe all of my affections. And then we played doing whatever it is that she wanted to do. I didn't care just as long as we were together. And I told my wife, look, we got to go shopping. I want to buy her things. I don't care where we go or what we do, but let me just shower her, shower her with gifts. And then she found her daddy's favor and being face to face again, I affirmed her. That is, I opened the floodgates of my heart to reassure her whose she is and who she is to me. And the immense love I poured out to my daughter when she received me is just a glimpse of what Jesus understood that you and I would experience from our heavenly father when we invite him to be involved in our lives. You see, because Jesus knows our heavenly father. He understood prayer from our father's perspective. You see, from our father's perspective, prayer is God's opportunity to carry you, to carry you through difficult times. Prayer from our father's perspective is his opportunity to shower you with his affection. Prayer from our father's perspective is his opportunity to open up and pour out his heart and affirm you, to remind you whose you are and who you are to him. And so Jesus redefined prayer for us as receiving and finding and opening. It's a relationship that we get to experience. This is why Jesus was motivated to pray. And he revealed his motivation this way. He said, for everyone who asks, receives. He emphasized the receive part. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Prayer is receiving and finding and opening. And just to be sure, we clearly understand prayer from the Father's perspective as God's desire to shower us with his affections and to open his heart with affirmations. Jesus reiterated his motivation a fourth time. Jesus said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit more of himself to those who ask him? Listen, prayer as Jesus modeled for us is much like a child putting up their hands and saying, carry me, dad. It's not about buttering up and begging a supreme leader. No, see, prayer, as Jesus modeled, is allowing our father to reveal to us his heart for us. Prayer, as Jesus modeled, is allowing our father to reveal to us his heart for us. It's less about what we say and what we do is more about allowing our father to be our father. And this is exactly what I'm challenging all of us to do in order that we would be motivated to pray like Jesus was motivated to pray. And in order for us to experience the life change that we want, I'm challenging us to rethink how we view prayer. From this day forth, instead of approaching prayer from our very human perspective as actions to do and words to say, let's stop 
And let's consider prayer from the Father's perspective as God's opportunity to reveal to us his heart for us. Here's what that looks like for me. For the last couple of years, I've been attempting to unlearn some of the bad habits and bad tendencies that I have learned. And I'm attempting to, like Jesus taught, focus on addressing God by just one title, Father. I get this wrong all the time. A lot of things happen to slip out, but instead of persistently asking and seeking and knocking like he is some sort of supreme master that we have to butter up and beg with names like Adonai or Elohim or Jehovah Nisi or Jehovah Rapha, I just try to pray, Father, just Father. And then every morning, like my daughter came to me with her arms up asking me to carry her, to pick her up. I raise my arms when I pray and it's just like I want to be carried. And I simply say, Father, I invite you to reveal your heart to me. And then I rest in silence. And I try to allow God by his spirit to shower me with his affections and his affirmations. Ultimately, I just try to say less so that I'm able to receive more of what our Father reveals. And I'll tell you, for me personally, it has done wonders for my own self-confidence. Now, you might find this best to do before you get out of bed while you're still in bed or as you get ready or if you have a whole bunch of little ones running around the only time you get is in the restroom maybe it's when you're in the shower and the water is hitting you or maybe while you're drinking your coffee or while you're driving in your car or when you're on your lunch or whenever it is you're able to find a free moment perhaps once the kiddos are all asleep but just receive allow God to reveal his heart to you and I believe that praying like Jesus taught to a father that we invite to carry us and reveal to us his heart for us not to a supreme master that we have to beg and butter up I believe that that will be the catalyst for the life change we're all seeking just like it was the catalyst for the life change of Jesus' disciple Peter. You see, Luke's accounts tell us that Peter was a loudmouth racist. But when he prayed like Jesus taught and he allowed the Father to reveal to him the Father's heart, well, Peter's heart changed. Peter became more gentle, a little less rough around the edges, and he became more accepting. In fact, the racial reckoning that we are experiencing in our world, in our lifetime, in our country today, it can be traced back to Jesus teaching us to pray, Father. Luke told us the Father revealed his heart to Peter, and it catalyzed the very change that we are experiencing today. Peter said, God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who reveres him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter's heart was changed when the father 
revealed to him his heart for him. And when we pray like Jesus taught and allow our father to carry us and reveal his heart, not only will we experience the change that Peter experienced and that our world is now experiencing, but I believe our father will forever change the trajectory of your life, just like it did for Sam. Listen to Sam's story. So when we got saved, it was because my wife and I had been going through a really difficult period in our marriage, and we had, we had grown apart. There was no passion there. And really through our salvation is where uh, the Lord brought an answer to our prayer to rebuild our marriage. That was a catalyst for us to continue a prayer life. I had been at the university for like 25 years and uh, we got a new vice president. They needed to hire someone that was going to advise her on finances because she was a lawyer and a PhD and that was an area that she wanted more help on. She advertised that job at the national level. So she was really looking for someone very top notch. And so I said, Lord, you know, if this is really where you want me to be, then this is going to have to change and they're going to have to come and ask me to take the job because I'm not going to apply for it. And I went in and sat down and she said, I have a proposition for you. I want to offer you this job that I have and I'm changing it to suit you, right? This was a national search. You're required to search nationally for these executive level positions, right? I never interviewed with anybody. The interview process is excruciating all day. You've got eight or nine interviews with the entire world, right? It's really something. I did not do a single thing. When she proposed the job to me, sitting in the chair, she said, do you need time to think about this? It was like mind boggling. And, uh, you know, I knew it was the Lord and I took it right there on the spot. And that to me had quite an impact because the Lord had to change the job, right? He avoided all the work that has to go into doing all of that. They gave me this humongous raise, which changed our life forever after. And um, I really didn't have to do anything to get it. So then a couple of years later, this person who hired me moved on to be VP at UT Austin. And so she recommended that I take over as the interim to the president. So he did. Uh, okay, then they did a national search. And then he said about a week later, he, he was thinking about this, filling this job. And he said, what am I thinking? Sam has been in this job a year and he's done a wonderful job. So he called me up and said, I'm just going to make you the vice president. Now, because we have all these rules about executive level positions, I have to write a letter to the chancellor of the UT system, right? And say why I'm going to hire you and that I'm not going to even do another search, right? So he sent it up and guess what? They approved it. They said, oh, okay, fine, go ahead, make him VP. 
never interviewed for the job with anybody, right? Went through any process or, or, or anything else. It was, it was the same situation pretty much as the other position. So I knew it was the Lord. I said, Lord, I know you're guiding me in this, and I know this is where you have put me. To me, the biggest thing that I've learned from this, this whole process has been that it's really not what you want. You need to reach a point in your life where you trust God that what he wants for you is even better than what you can imagine for yourself. Our Father, who gives good gifts so much more than any of us human dads could ever consider even giving. He changed the trajectory of Sam's life. And that all started many, many years ago when Sam cried out, Father. And so, brothers and sisters, May we this week just focus on allowing our Heavenly Father to reveal His heart to us. Consider prayer from the Father's perspective, something we allow Him to do, not so much asking and seeking and knocking words that we have to say and actions we have to do. And I believe God will change your life. You will be motivated to continue to pray. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that the words spoken today would be deeply rooted in the hearts of everyone who watched or listened. And I pray that we would model how we connect with you, Father, after how Jesus, God himself, taught us. That it wouldn't be so much about what we do or what we say, and that we wouldn't approach you as this unapproachable supreme master, but that we would just grow in our confidence and in our comfort to approach you in a relational, simple way, with our arms up saying, carry me. And may we allow you to reveal to us your heart for us. And I pray all of this in Jesus's name. Amen. Well, I'm so grateful that you guys joined us today. Next week, we are going to continue with this series with a very special guest, a brother of mine and a son of City Tribe, Humbi Serveda from Akuo Church. And he is going to be back continuing this series, looking at prayer from yet another perspective, another aspect. So I hope you guys will join us. And if you do need to pray with somebody, you want to connect with somebody, as always, visit citytribe.church prayer. Our prayer team folks would love to connect with you and to help you and to serve you in whatever way they can. And so until next week, brothers and sisters, focus on the Father. God bless you all. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.